Okay, question. Honesty, honesty. How many of you have had to appear in court before at some time in your life? Raise up your hand. (laughs) Wow, you're more sinful than the first service. I have had to go to court three times. All three times were because of speeding. Yes, I was driving. Uh, The first time I ever went to court uh, was the most stressful. See, because not only was I speeding, but I didn't have proof of insurance. So that's more serious. So they actually called me up to take the stand. So, and, and this is back in my college days, so I had really long hair, and I looked like a heavy metal drummer, and, and that's kind of criminal in the eyes of the court, you know, like I didn't look like an innocent guy. So they call me up to take the stand, and I, I walk up, <clears throat> and uh, I've got my tiny little piece of paper that's, you know, that shows that I have insurance. Well, then there's an attorney over there at the other podium, and his job is to put me away for life. And he's taking his job very seriously. He gives me this like look of death as I walk up to my podium. He gives me this look, you know, like. And so I'm like, oh, hi. And the judge said, all right, uh, can you prove that you have insurance? And I said, yes, your honor. Like with the shaking hand, I hand over the insurance card to the attorney. And the other attorney, and he, you know, he's, he's looking at it. And he's got this look on his face. And he's looking over at me and looking at it, looking over at me and looking at it. He says, your Honor, this insurance card has no expiration date on it. I don't know when his policy started. I don't know if it's over. This doesn't prove anything. And now I'm over here and I'm thinking, well, that's all I brought. I'm going to go away for life. So, so I didn't know what to do. And, and there's only one person who came to the courtroom with me. Do you know who it is? Mom. And so I, I turned around and I was like, Mom, what do I do? <laughs> Well, my mom rose up from her chair with her purse and became my attorney. She stood up, put her purse on that podium. And I tell you what, every mom at every moment of their entire existence has everything that they need to keep their child out of danger in that purse. So she opens up that purse and she grabs some letter. I don't know what it is. It's probably a letter from the president just in case this ever it was ever needed. And she hands it to that attorney, right? Well, this attorney's now looking at my mom, and he's looking at this letter and looking at my mom. It's, whatever it was, it convinced him because he looked up and he said, all right, he's got insurance. And I looked over at that attorney, and I didn't say anything verbally, but with my eyes I said to him, that's what you get when you mess with my mom. <laughs> oh. That was my first time ever in court. I was freaked out. Maybe you remember when you were in court and what that was like. Uh, Our next hero of the faith is Jeremiah. Jeremiah wakes up in the morning, goes to do what God told him to do, and by about noon, he's on trial facing the death sentence. Now, I didn't actually have any fear that my life was in jeopardy. But what if... Tomorrow morning you wake up and God gives you work to do and you do it. And by lunchtime you're on trial. Charges are capital crimes. And you could be dead by the end of the day. This was Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah is going to show us over the next two weeks what it means to be a bold witness for truth. We all need help sharing our faith with other people. Amen. We know we should do it, but we're not sure how to do it. And so Jeremiah is going to help us with that. Uh, Jeremiah is going to con- confront us. The question is, are you willing to be a bold, outspoken witness for Christ? If so, he's going to help us. Let's pray, and then we'll read about Jeremiah's story. Father, we love your truth, and we want to share it, 
but we get nervous, we get afraid, we stay quiet when we shouldn't, we say things that we shouldn't when we speak, and so sometimes, Lord, we just get paralyzed and we don't do anything. My prayer is that Jeremiah's example would spur us on to speak. Show us how to speak your truth. Show us why to speak your truth. And Lord, as he teaches us what it means to share our faith, may we grow in this ability. And I do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Bible's open. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 26. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 26. As you're turning there, let me give you some facts that will help you understand what's going on in Bible history here. Jeremiah was actually raised in the best of times. King Josiah was on the throne. Josiah turned the nation back to the Lord. He was a good king. It was a great time in the land. But then when Jeremiah was called into the service of the Lord, Jeremiah began to see the worst of times. He saw a nation in decline. He saw a nation turn away from its God. And God wanted Jeremiah to be the one to sound the alarm to prevent it from happening. Given the fact that Jeremiah began as a prophet in 627 B.C., it had been about a hundred years since the northern kingdom had fallen into enemy hands. God judged the northern kingdom of Israel because of their disobedience. Jeremiah never knew the northern kingdom intact. And now, just as the northern kingdom of Samaria of Israel had, had fallen, now the southern kingdom was in jeopardy and God wanted Jeremiah to be the one to say, you have to turn this thing around or it's going to happen to you also. Well, the king in now, this story is set in 609 B.C., the king was Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. Jehoiakim had a good daddy. His daddy turned the nation back to God, but Jehoiakim's dad was killed in battle against Egypt. So his brother, Jehoahaz, those of you looking for baby names, you can write these down. Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, let's get these back on the charts, all right? Jehoahaz was made king, but he was an evil king. So after only three months, the Pharaoh deported him to Egypt and therefore gave Jehoiakim the power. Jehoiakim was only 25 years old when he became king. He was an evil king. He lived in times of political turmoil. There was a major international crisis, a constant threat of evasion. It was to this administration that Jeremiah had to proclaim the word of God. In 26 verse 1, here's what it says. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way. Then I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make the city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Jeremiah, here's the sermon. I've written it for you. Go to the temple, share it all, because this nation is in jeopardy. The first lesson we learn here about being a godly witness is this. You can write this down. Witness with conviction. Witness with conviction. 
what will it take to enable you to witness with conviction? Well, we're finding out here. It says here it was the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. And God assigned Jeremiah to a crowded public place. This would be the equivalent of God saying to you, go to D.C. inaugural weekend in the Capitol building and say this sermon that I gave for you to say. Likely the inaugural year of this king's reign. Likely in the temple, which was the center of national activity. Likely a crowd of thousands of people around. It's, it's this audience that needs to hear the truth. It's going to take conviction for Jeremiah to do this. And it says here this, the word came from the Lord in verse 1. Verse 2, it says, thus says the Lord. Question, question. Who is talking to this audience? Please tell me. The Lord. Jeremiah's lips are moving, but it says, thus says the Lord. Which means God is the one who has things to say. The means through which he gets it said is a human messenger. How can we witness with conviction? Well, we can witness with conviction when we understand that it's not my opinion. It's not my thoughts. It's the Lord speaking through me to people. Jot this down. Truth comes from God's mouth. Truth comes from God's mouth. When you understand that what you're sharing is God's thoughts, it will give you a boldness to speak. The pressure's not on you to figure it all out. The pressure's not on you to make up the rules. The pressure is just for you to be a faithful messenger of God's words. And the Bible teaches that truth comes straight from God's mouth. There's two forms, basically, of revelation in the Scripture. One of them is called general revelation. And that's where the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Meaning, nature itself somehow conveys the existence of God, His power and His intelligence. You can learn that just by watching a beautiful sunset or going to see the giant redwood forest. Or look, you can see there is a God. There must be a God. Looking up at the stars at night in space. Some, some being must have put this here. But general revelation can only lead you to a vague understanding of God. Which means special revelation, the second kind of revelation, has to happen. It's where God the person breaks the silence from heaven and speaks content into your life. Speaks something intelligible about your moral condition and your basic spiritual needs. And if God doesn't break that silence, there's nothing you can do to access his mind in heaven. Therefore, we believe as Christians that special revelation is God's divine self-disclosure. God revealing his own heart and thoughts to you. Through messengers. Truth comes from God's mouth. Therefore, when you read your Bible, you are reading God's lips. When you share the Bible, you're sharing God's thoughts. Do you have that conviction in your heart that truth comes from God's mouth? If you do, it'll be easier to witness with conviction. Jeremiah 30, verses 1 to 2, we'll put it up on the screen here. Why don't you lift your voices and say this together with me? The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. Where do we get this Bible? God decided he wanted some things that needed to be said. 
he approached messengers to be the vehicle through which these things got said, and eventually what they said got written down. It was God's plan. Well, why doesn't God just appear in front of me and tell me what he thinks? Well, he could do that, but it would take forever. It would, be very, it would not be very efficient. Instead, he decided to use these authors to write stuff down so that you can freely hear his heart. The authority of this book is in the fact that God is the one who wrote it through human authors. It says in the Bible that all Scripture is God-breathed. In the Greek, the word is theonoustos, God-breathed. It came from his very lips. But he used authors, human authors, to say and to write it all down. If you don't understand that truth comes from God's mouth, you're going to be less likely to share it. If you understand it comes from God's mouth, you're going to understand you're just the delivery person getting God's thoughts into the other person's life. Truth comes from God's mouth. Uh, But many people don't recognize that this is the authoritative sum total of God's thoughts to humanity. So people often have in their lives what I would call a truth panel. There would be people who they look to to get their truth. Uh, Here would be a slide that shows one example of a truth panel. Um, Sources of truth could include over on the left there, uh, the laboratory. My truth only comes from things that can be scientifically proven in the lab And if it can be proven, then it's true. And if it can't, then it's not. Uh, Other people look to mystics or great holy men like the Dalai Lama and just for spiritual insights uh, in life. And up there at the top is an iPod. And this represents the uh, wisdom that is being put to song and and your favorite recording artist's thoughts on this or life or morality. And, And often it's the lyrics of our favorite artists that can influence our thinking on things. Next to the iPod is Grandma. Grandma's got a lot of thoughts on life, doesn't she? Sometimes this becomes like family folk wisdom that is passed down from generation to generation. I'm not saying it's all bad. I wouldn't want to diss grandma. But what I'm saying is, is the family an authoritative voice on morality and religion in your your heart? Uh, The next one would be your BFF, your closest friends. What do they think about things? And that's where maybe you're getting your morality Finally, this is becoming increasingly more where people look. If the government, the Supreme Court, tells me that it's legal or okay, it must be morally okay. Who are you to say something that's legal is immoral? So let me ask you this. Where do you get your truth? Where do you get your truth? And at the end of the day, what is the most authoritative source for your moral reasoning and your behavior? Because because the Bible comes from God's mouth. It's his heart. And therefore, we would believe that this is the authoritative source of of all thoughts on morality and conduct in life. Have you arrived at that place of conviction yet? Or are you still drawing from multiple sources of... Witness with conviction, knowing that truth comes from God's mouth. Next, write this down, truth spreads by your mouth. Truth spreads by your mouth. The transmission of truth is entrusted to human messengers. That would be you. And what does God expect of his messengers? Preach it. Preach all of it. Preach all of it to all of them. Don't hold back a single word, he tells Jeremiah. Preach all of it. To who? To all the people who come from Judah. All of it to all of them. So truth spreads by your mouth. But often believers conclude in their heart, yeah, but it's not my job. 
Like, it's not my job. Like, that's pastor's job to preach to people on Sunday morning. I could never do that. That's, it's not my job. It's somebody else's job. Like, I, I don't want to complicate my marriage by telling my spouse who's undecided about these things. I don't want to get in trouble at my workplace because I bring up some of my thoughts. I don't want to cause a Facebook spat because I put my moral conviction up there and then people start not liking me or unfriending me. Or I, I just want tranquil waters in my, in my life so I'm going to be quiet. But that's a problem because truth comes from God's mouth and truth spreads by your mouth. Um, so the question is, are you willing to be God's messenger because he's appointed you as his messenger? You've got people in your life I'll never talk to. You've got people within your sphere of influence that others in this room will never reach. God wants you to own the assignment of getting truth to those people. Witness with conviction. Know that it's the truth that comes from God's mouth and that it's truth that spreads by your mouth. I think this speaks to our church. God has a very strong opinion of what he wants to happen here in the gathered assembly on Sunday morning. And it grieves my heart to hear some of the things that churches are doing on Sunday mornings to try and attract an audience. And listen, not everything that's done under a steeple makes God happy. All right? So what are some of the things that messengers are delivering today instead of the truth, the word of God in the gathered church? Well, first, entertainment. Entertainment. I read about one church who for Easter, they decided to bring up a clown to give the message so that they can entertain people and draw a crowd. And the clown would be preaching one minute and doing a little magic act or juggling swords the next. And then go back to preaching and then go back to entertaining. Pathetic. Pathetic. Get the clown off the stage and get the preacher up there to tell people what the Word of God says. Don't turn the Sunday morning thing into a circus to get people out there. Don't turn the preacher into a carnival barker to try and get people to step right up and get some sort of a prize. It's pathetic. But this is what messengers are delivering today. What else? Messengers are delivering legalism. This is angry, external, extra-biblical checklists, which we would call the rules of man. The rules of man. Call them fundamentalists, call them Bible thumpers or fighting fundies or whatever. But this is the church where the Bible is somewhat involved in the message, but really the preacher wants to get to all the do's and don'ts that he's thought up in life, right? And sin is somehow reduced to like the fabric that you're choosing to wear on your skin or the movies you're choosing to watch or external do's and don'ts. Um, and the church begins to try and externally govern your hairstyles, your choice of fashion, your sources of entertainment. Now, do those things need to be handled wisely and with biblical discernment? Yes. But when the church becomes nothing more than external conformity to rules of men, it's no longer wielding the power of God to change the inside of the person. Right? Some of you have been messed up by legalistic churches in the past. It's because legalism is a lie. The lie is, if we handle the outside, God will eventually get to the inside. That's false. We've got to go to the inside by sharing what God's Word says about character formation instead of just dealing with the do's and don'ts. So messengers are delivering entertainment. They're delivering legalism. Next, they're delivering the truth buffet. The truth buffet. In more liberal churches, they're content to mix several contradictory truth claims together and just call it truth. We'll draw from this worldview. We'll draw from that worldview. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And we'll just dish it all up to God's people and let them eat toxic poisonous, false teaching. And of course, believers in those churches are incredibly unhealthy. 
Entertainment, legalism, truth, buffet. The next one would be this, systems of theology. Systems of theology. Follow me on this one. Nothing's wrong with theology. We love theology. But we don't preach a system of theology. It would be the equivalent of going into a chemistry class and all the professor ever does is teach you the periodic table. Fact, fact, fact. Facts, facts. uh, As if the church experience is supposed to simulate a classroom where you learn all the facts in the head that deal with the precious truth of the Lord. Well, what's so bad about that? I like theology. What's so bad about that? It's because we're supposed to take the elements of truth and we're supposed to put them together in such a way that we ignite an atomic blast that changes lives forever. Sunday morning isn't about conveying facts. Okay, this isn't Jeopardy. And if you're here to fill your head with facts, you don't understand that we're dealing with power here. Power to change your heart and power to change the heart of the unrepentant. If you expect theology, more facts, a different angle on it, you're hungering for the wrong thing. You should hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the truth to penetrate your heart and make you a different person by the time you leave this room. If you're hungering for anything less, you're not going to get it here. Entertainment, legalism, truth buffet, system of theology. I thought about this this week and I wrote down churches and for splitting hairs, churches for splitting atoms. Hey, when you witness with conviction, God's word is going to be unleashed in the heart of the other person. Witness with conviction because truth comes from God's mouth and truth spreads by your mouth. Here's the second point, though. Conviction isn't enough. Number two, witness with compassion. Witness with compassion. It says here in verse 3, it may be that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. What, What is the disaster coming? Well, Judah is in danger of being exiled. The Mosaic Covenant called it out. If they sin, if they break the covenant, God's going to bring war and famine and pestilence and eventually exile and kick them out of the promised land. God says it's coming. It's coming. Warn them. Why? Because he wants to relent. Verse 4, You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, Though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Do you hear the compassion in God's voice? Do you hear it in verse 3? It may be that they will listen. In verse 4, listen. In verse 5, twice, listen. Listen. Four times, listen. 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 He's trying to get their ear. Because he wants to turn them from this awful disaster that's coming. Therefore, our heart should be primarily filled with love. Wanting to see the other person listen to God. To turn and to enjoy a a relationship with the God who made them and the God who loves them. We don't just want to beat people over the head with truth. We don't just want to win an argument. We don't just want to... We want to... We want to lovingly show them there's a God in heaven who made them and loves them and wants to rescue them from the coming disaster. Only in our case, it's not exile from a, from a physical land. In our case, we're warning people from the, 
The coming eternity apart from God in the presence of suffering forever. We're trying to warn them of that that's coming. God wants them to listen. A few things we notice here. You can jot this down. What is it going to take to witness with compassion? Well, you have to know this. Write this down. Truth is legally binding over all people. Truth is legally binding over all people. It says here, speak to all the cities of Judah, all the words that I command. If you don't understand truth is legally binding over every neighbor on your block, every family member at the party, every co-worker at your job, if you don't understand that intrinsically in your own heart, you won't understand what compassion is for them. All right, you're going to actually conclude that compassion with this person who has a different worldview or a different faith or whatever, compassion is that I just kind of show them respect for that and like be quiet about my thing and just let them tell me about their thing. But you would be wrong. You'd be wrong because God places everyone in your life under the same standard and measure of truth, which is his word. Check this out. This is Jeremiah 31.10. It says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. The truth is not just localized to Jerusalem or Israel. It's overall. It's absolute. It transcends the individual. Which, which means if in the name of compassion you decide not to tell the other person what God thinks, you're telling God what you think about the scope of his authority. Lord, I know you said this truth is for all people, but really I, I believe that for this person there's some other standard of measure. There has to be. So I'm just going to piously be quiet to them. And God is grieved because you're not being compassionate. Witnessing with compassion means you understand truth is legally binding over all people, which means we've covered two errors already. Error number one is error number one is believing some of the truth and not all of it. Error number two is believing that the truth applies to some of the people and not all of them. All right? God says all of the people need all of the truth. And if you believe some of the people need all the truth, you're off. If you believe all the people need some of the truth, you're off. Have you concluded in your own heart that all of the people in your life need all of the truth that you embrace? You need that conviction or you're not going to have the compassion that's truth-informed. Witness with compassion. Maybe someone has said to you, well, that's true for you, but not for me. God would disagree. Therefore, compassion is not staying quiet. Compassion is sharing with them the truth that they need to hear. So, Witness with conviction, because truth comes from God's mouth and spreads by your mouth. Witness with compassion, knowing that truth is legally binding over all people, but write this down. Also knowing that truth is powerful and rescues lives from destruction. From destruction. God says, I send them to you urgently because disaster is coming. And the word here is truth is powerful and rescues lives from destruction. The word is rescue. What comes to mind when you hear the word rescue? For me, what comes to mind is last year, I was at Payless Pool with my family. I was just standing in line for the diving board. And, um, and there was this two-and-a-half-year-old boy and his brother, who was maybe eight. They were just standing there. I think it was Adult Swim, so they were probably waiting um, and, and like in a flash, the two-and-a-half-year-old boy ran up to the edge of the pool and jumped in and 
sank and disappeared instantly. Um, And the eight-year-old boy ran to the edge of the pool and turned around and said, Dad, he jumped in the pool! The lifeguard was up in the perch. I was standing there very close to where this happened, but it's almost like no one, every, everyone froze. No one knew what, everyone froze. And when I think drowning, I think a person screaming, help, help. This was just quiet. The kid was just gone. And the lifeguard didn't get up. I didn't, and, and it was the father who got up and ran and dove in and disappeared. Now everyone was wondering where the father went and it felt like an hour had passed because time was standing still. And then before anybody could do anything, there was this explosion of water and the father just hoisted this child back onto the pool deck, heaving as he was trying to breathe because he had to go all the way down to the bottom of the deep end. And he threw his child on the side and then he pulled himself up and laid down. Lifeguard was still on the perch. But it happened so fast. Listen, the word is rescue. What the Bible says you need is rescue. You are that child. God is that father. And if we look into the lives of the people who we know don't have Christ in their life, and we refuse to share the truth with them, we're standing at the edge of the pool doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. And if you believe they need a rescue, something in your heart should spur you to act. You can witness with conviction when you understand truth comes from God's mouth. It spreads by your mouth. You can witness with compassion when you understand truth is legally binding over all people and is powerful to rescue lives from destruction. The word is rescue. How did God rescue us? Well, the gospel message that we share is that he sent Jesus Christ, his son, into the world to save sinners. Jesus came in, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, On the cross, he took the wrath of God for all sinners, that's you, on himself. Therefore, he paid the legal debt you owe for sin. On the third day, after being put in the tomb, he was raised to life. And in the presence of many witnesses, he ascended into heaven where he lives now with all authority in heaven and on earth at his disposal. Meaning that only he can get you, your case dismissed in God's court of law. Only he can reach down and give you eternal life as a free gift. He's the only one who can rescue you and he's the only one who can rescue everyone else in your life. If you believe that the truth is powerful enough to rescue lives from destruction and you believe eternal destruction is coming, you'll speak. Jeremiah 23, 22, we'll put it up on the screen. says this, but if they had stood in my counsel then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. This is God's plan to turn your loved ones around, getting his word into their life. Jeremiah 23, 29 reassures us that it's not your persuasion or your humor or your tact or anything that you say that gets the job done. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, It's not my word like fire declares the Lord 
and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The Word of God is like a lion. You just need to get it out of its cage and it'll fend for itself, but you've got to get it out. Truth is powerful and it rescues lives from destruction. And we want to share it with conviction, but we want to share it with compassion. When I think of compassion, I think of earlier this week when my daughter Ellie, uh, we were playing catch with the softball and she broke her wrist. She was running backwards and she fell and landed on it wrong. And so we went to the ER Monday. Monday late, it was like 9 p.m., we're in the ER. And a doctor came in, he had probably been there all day long. He's going, you know, bed to bed, helping people out who have breaks or cuts or whatever. And he stayed for a while. Started talking to Ellie. You know, she's only 11. And, oh, tell me about, do you have siblings? And she's like, oh, yeah, I've got a crazy younger brother. And he's like, well, you've got to keep him away from this. You know, you're going to probably get a cast. And he's like, do you have any pets? Oh, yeah, I've got a crazy puppy. Oh, okay, you've got to keep the dog away from this. And he's just staying and encouraging her and telling her she did a great job in the x-ray. And on the way home, I said, what did you think, Al? Were you, everything okay? And she's like, yeah, I really like the doctor. She said, he felt like a relative. Isn't that cute? He felt like a relative. The doctor had 10 minutes to pull that off, all right, and he did it. And that made me feel like, man, when I spiritually am trying to help someone, you know, when I'm like reaching out to them and, hey, this is the x-ray of your soul and God's showed that there's some stuff in there that, you know, and we need to fix it. Like, when that's all said and done, I'd love for that person to feel like they just got done talking to a relative. I don't do perfect at that, but I would love to aim for that because I don't just want to share the truth with conviction. I want to share it with compassion because I'm trying to rescue people. Well, the third point here that we learn from Jeremiah's example is this. Don't just witness with conviction and compassion. Third, witness with courage. Witness with courage. Reading on in verse 7, it says in verse 7, The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. When Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die! <laughs> Let's pretend. Let's pretend you're the people, and I'm Jeremiah, and I just got done preaching my sermon, all right? Do you know your line? Do you know your line? Okay. And that's all I have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. You shall die! That would be a bad day! To finish preaching what God wanted me to preach, and then to have every people... Every person rise up and grab you and say, you're going to die. <laughs> this is like a mob trial. Instantly forms. Verse 9, why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, this house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate? Shiloh was in Eli's day where the nation used to gather, right around the ark. And Eli's sons were like, way bad. And so God torched that place with an invasion. And, and Jeremiah was basically saying, yeah, you don't think I'm going to do it? You, I already took Shiloh out, and this temple is going down too. The city shall be desolate without inhabitant. And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, so now the government's getting involved, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. They're charging him with blasphemy. It's a capital offense, and like before lunchtime, he's on trial for his life. Why? Because he shared what God told him to. This would be a great point for Jeremiah to sink into self-pity. 
or to start taking back some of those things he said or to start apologizing shamefully for the truth he believes. Verse 12, Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now therefore, mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God. The Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I'm in your hands. Do with me as sees good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. Listen. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. Witness with courage. And jot this down. Respond to rejection with patience and resolve. Respond to rejection with patience and resolve. He had patience. He was measured. Okay, Jeremiah didn't go atomic. He didn't get rude. He didn't get insensitive. But he didn't go quiet. Patience, yet resolve. And it's going to come. If you start sharing the truth, there's going to be a backlash. Okay, you start sharing your moral opinion on things. I, I had a family member this week who threatened to unfriend me on Facebook. Well, if that's what you believe, that I, we're not going to be friends anymore. It's going to happen. People are not just going to be like, oh, tell me all of it. That sounds amazing. Right? They're going to be like cursing at you and condemning you. Will you be patient? Will you have resolve? Here's what gave him resolve. He was witnessing with courage because he says this, the Lord sent me to speak to you. The bottom line is this, there are people in your life that only you can reach. They won't hear me this week. They won't hear our elders this week. They'll hear you. And do you believe in your own heart that the Lord is sending you to speak to them? Get rid of all the excuses. Someone else will do it. Get rid of all of the errant theology. Well, they don't, there's other ways they could be saved. Get rid of all the false compassion. Well, they've just got other things they believe. Get all of it out of your heart and understand that the loving thing to do is to share your faith with conviction, with compassion, with courage, but to share it. And then trust that it's the Word of God that will do the work. You just need to get it to them. Well, thankfully, Jeremiah was spared for now, which will give us another week with him next week. It says in verse 16, Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. What an example to us starting this off. He was tried, he was spared, leaving us wondering, are we willing to be a witness, are we willing to reach out and to share it with people in our lives? I'd like you right now, as we close this message, to do this. I'd like you to think about three people in your life who you think God is just perhaps leading you to pray for. Three people in your life who God may be just tapping you on the shoulder, getting you to do something, to reach out to them and meet them where they're at in some way. Let's all just bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's just have a moment here where we ask the Lord to bring the names of three people in our lives who he wants us to reach out to.
These are people who God wants you to pray for. These are people who God wants you to invite to church. These are people who God wants you to simply converse with. Ask the Lord to bring names to your mind. Names of people who live by you, who work by you, who've known you for decades. there one person in particular you've known for a while God wants you to just talk to them are there people perhaps who've been closed off for a while but something is going on in their life They're, something's changed and they are ripening to the gospel now whether through suffering or death or tragedy or pain maybe you're wondering if they would be more attentive at this point. You have the names? Pray for them right now. In your own heart. Pray for them. Pray that God would rescue them. Pray that somehow he would use you to do it. Father, these names are going up to you from your faithful servants. We don't know the best things to say. We don't know the best times to say them. We don't know the best channels of communication to use, but we ask that doors would be open. We ask that invitations to church would be extended. We ask that there would be a readiness in the heart of the other person to listen. Even in disagreements, may you further their understanding of your truth. But give us courage Give us compassion. Give us firm resolve and conviction. Lord, fill this room with witnesses to truth. Show how awesome you are that you don't just reach people. Show that you can reach them through us. Your imperfect, fearful, tongue-tied messengers. Lord, honor us as we risk for you. Reach others, Lord, in the name of Christ we pray.